Hello, dreamers. Welcome back to the show. If this is your first time watching or listening, welcome. Thanks for stopping by. Hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at livingthedream506. Share it. Tell your friends about it. All that good stuff. Everything helps. So thanks, at the very least, for just being here. My guest today is the guitarist for the band Finger Eleven, formerly known as the Rainbow Butt Monkeys. And their song Paralyzer just hit 100 million streams on Spotify. These guys have crazy stories from the past years of touring with Black Sabbath and just, oh man, I hope you enjoy it. Please give it up for Rick Jacket. So Rick Jacket, Finger Eleven guitarist, how you doing, man? Very good, man. Very good. Very good. Just uh, sort of getting ready for a big life change, actually. Just about to leave the city and move to a farm. So you're in Toronto right now? Yeah, I live in Toronto. Me and James uh, Black from Finger Eleven, we live about a couple blocks from each other. We've I've lived here for about ten years. Love it. I love the city, man. It's a really cool place. Toronto's a great place. But uh, yeah, we're pulling a full Green Acres. Went and bought a farm nice so yeah yeah that's the dream eh? yeah i, th- I mean it, you know what it, it, i don't it wasn't my dream to be honest with you my dream was always to be in a rock band like i thought i would spend my whole time my whole life in a tour bus you know what i mean but uh obviously you know life moves on and then you find yourself when you do sort of settle back home looking for something i don't know something special you know and then, like i was saying as much as i love the city and i loved where i've lived for the last 10 years yeah i think me and my family were looking for that bigger sort of place to settle down and to sort of i'm excited to get lost on my own property you know that's an that's i've i've always got lost in the cities that we tour which is super fun but i like the idea of just being able to wander and not really be able to be found yeah you know? right how many acres 19 that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's nice. It's 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 a couple of pastures that back onto like just a bunch of bushland. So it should be pretty fun then. Yeah. So is this decision sparked from what's going on in the world just to kind of self-sustain and get away from the crowds? You, you, you know what? It's 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 not like it's it's convenient. <laughs> you know what I mean? They sort of line up, but uh no, this is just more of a decision that's been in the making for me and my family. Like I, I got a little four year old boy and I mean, yeah, I guess to be honest, COVID in schools in the city, it's different than COVID in schools outside the city. So there's a bit of that, but for the most part, this was a move we were going to do for a long time anyway. So, but it is to become a little more self-sufficient, a little more just, you know, just when you live out there on the farm, there's a lot of stuff to do, but your time tends to be your own where there's a lot of different uh, sort of variables in the city that your days just sort of get eaten up really fast where I'm excited out there to like, do my chores and then just play guitar for the rest of the day. You know what I mean? Like just that's, that's sort of the goal. So definitely. Are you going to like, are you doing the full farm experience? Are you like going to raise animals and garden and all a that bit stuff? Of both, 
Yeah, it's it's like a it's a it's what's called a hobby farm at this point. So there's two pastures. There's already cows on the property. There's a tenant farmer, and then when on our pasture, we're gonna yeah we're gonna bring in some goats and some chickens, some hens, and then have our nice greenhouse grow all kinds of things. You know, grow vegetables and all kinds of greens. Yeah, lots of greens. Lots of greens. Lots <laughs> of greens. Well, I guess only two. Legally, so. <laughs> yeah, man, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, it's gonna be fun, man. It's gonna be cool. I, I the thing I'm looking forward to it, uh, individual as a person, as is uh, to see what kind of influence it has on my emotional state. Therefore, will have an effect on the music I make. You know, um, I'm pretty curious to see what happens there, and if it's if it's uh, if it has that kind of effect, I think it's gonna have. So, do you think it's gonna maybe soften the genres that you're that you typically write in? Like, I know you're listening to like some heavier stuff like clutch and things like that. Do you think it's going to yeah, transition it, you into the folk genre? Yeah. Well, I mean, me and James already have a, a country band going, right? We have this thing All called right. Blackie Jacket Jr. So I definitely think it's going to create a few more Blackie Jacket Jr. songs. I mean, how could it not? I'm living on a farm with cows and shit, you know, <laughs> but I do look forward to um, sort of capturing the isolation of it in, in, a, in a darker, heavier form. You know what I mean? Uh, I think it'll be neat to have that time and to go down those rabbit holes. Uh, and that's the other thing too, is I don't have internet really good out there. So whenever I come up with that idea at home, before I can even think about it, I send it off to the guys, you know, and but we all do that vice versa and it just keeps the ideas shared quickly. But I'm looking forward to being able to like, I won't be able to send it off. So I'm excited to like wake up the next day and dig back into it and sort of, you know, take that approach, which I haven't done in a long time. So it should be fun. Yeah. Any plans for like setting up a studio in the, in the property? Well, there is. Yeah. We have, um, it comes with a detached uh, garage powered and heated insulated. So I think that's my initial plan. It's going to be set up a workspace there and then hopefully um, maybe a couple of years down the road, actually build small studio barn down on the property though. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to a few people like over this pandemic and it really just setting up that studio space is really the only outlet that anybody has right now. So everybody's kind of been confined to the, to the writing process rather than touring and actually like yeah. not so much recording, but really just like letting the creative juices flow. And I mean, if you have that on your own property, you can kind of bring everybody in and do it yeah. yourself. Right. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, that's something that we, I mean, we've all had our own uh, little mini so writing studios, you know, but since in the last recent couple of years, our drummer, Steve sort of built a bit, a bit of a bigger space where we can all get together and start writing that way again. And it's been really incredible, but to, to your point about everybody being home writing right now, I think that's going to have an amazing end result. I think, I think it's been a long time since, especially our genre of music, was afforded the luxury of time to make records. You know, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, there was still a thing, the thing called artist development with labels where they would give you time and studio money and, and you know, just say, like, take months to make, you know. Now the turnaround is so fast on music and the pressure to turn around is so fast on music. I still think there's good music being made, don't get me wrong. And some bands like King Gizzard and The Wizard Wizard, they put out five amazing records in one year. So it's not like it can't be done quickly, but I do think the masses having a chance to sort of self actualize and self realize and take some time to really make some thoughtful music will have an amazing result that is almost, 
I thought I don't even think it'll be like noticeable to the masses, but I think we'll all feel holy. There's a different level of musician, uh, you know, of songwriting and and emotion in the music that's that's about to come, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, and I mean, if you, yeah. So I, I think I just think I think there really is an opportunity here if you're an artist uh, of any of any you know walk just to to really look inside and, and figure out what emotions you're dealing with and, and get them out onto either in song form or on painting or whatever your medium is, you know? Yeah. Hopefully the silver lining is like a lot less burnout from being on the road so much and, yeah, and just man. afforded that time to actually take care of what matters and hopefully relieve some stress. I know there's some stress that comes along with what's happening, but it's a different type of stress that maybe everybody can kind of deal with themselves and just, like I said, afforded that time to not be on the road all the time. And to you kind of, your experiences are shaped by your life. And when you're on the road all the time, that's all you get to see. So now if you, to be on your own a lot more and have that more time to really reflect on everything will give some new creativity to the, to the writing process. I hope just across, like you said, across all arts in general. Yeah. Yeah. I think so for sure. I mean, and, and, and to be honest, it, it will probably have a turnaround effect on the road as well. The, you know, there's been a lot of people that have been doing it for many, many decades and no one gets tired of it ever. And everybody loves it, but the word burnout is a pretty, uh, pretty accurate word. Right. And it's impossible. You're a human being. It's pretty impossible not to get burnt out. And given this time off, I think you'll find a little bit of rejuvenation and hunger built back up for those shows. You know what I mean? Whenever they come back again and they will, I mean, they will, it's inevitable. That's going to happen, you know, but be musicians aren't usually forced to take time off. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to that, that to be forced upon us, I think you'll see, when it starts up again, yeah, just this flood of new music and flood of new performances to go along with them. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. I'm and hoping, I mean, so. yeah, for sure. And you, you guys, I think I heard you guys are working on new music for a new album. Yeah, we've been working on. I mean, we've been, like like everybody's lives just before COVID. Like we were right in the swing of things, you know, and we had a crazy good groove, and we did we we were at about like eight finished new songs you know probably ready to go in the studio with but then covid <laughs> and then everything's top dead and we haven't really even seen each other since all, all this went down and uh so the writing stopped dead in its tracks but the thing about our band is is it's not the greatest business model but we never really stopped being finger 11 we just sort of stopped doing it in public you know so if we don't put a, a record out for five years we write for those five years we just don't put everything out that we write, you know? And a lot of times we'll write ourselves sort of out of a sound and into a new sound. So it might take six or seven songs to get to the next sound and that's where we start. And then it's another six or seven to get. So we are always writing. And 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 this was supposed to be in 2020 that we had an anniversary of Greatest of Blue Skies. We had new music right up there on the horizon. And there was a big plan for us to have a big year of releases and, and touring. And obviously that didn't happen. So uh the music's been you know written and now we so so i'm guessing there's going to be a few releases throughout the end of this year just things here and there but as far as brand new music and new 
performances and new Finger Eleven, that will definitely be a 2021 thing, which it was supposed to be a 2020 thing. But we said yeah. that in 2019. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, I mean, I have the, I have the MP3s. I promise you they exist. That I know there's new music. We've made it like, so I listened to it last night when I was drinking some wine. So it's exists. I just, yeah. I'm not sure when the release is going to be. So. Yeah. So with the new plans for the farms and stuff, like is, what was your writing process before? And like, how do you think it's going to affect it now? Like, do you have plans to just self-isolate maybe just yeah. get, bla- get blasted and see what comes out of it or like, I mean, that's sort of always the plan, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, I mean, for us, for Finger Eleven, the writing is, there's a few ways we approach it. Some of the songs are approached, like we were saying, like uh, we'll all write individually at home. Someone will come up with a spark and then right away we share that spark and then through home studios and Dropbox and, you know, computers, we can add on to the projects, send them back, edit the projects. And then we end up making a music track that way. Um, and then for us always, it starts with the music and then Scott's writes lyrics and vocals. That's just how every single finger on the songs ever started. So there is the, the uh, you know, there is the, every one of us go home and try and create and then cr- combine it on online. Um, but we, like I said, we we started writing collaboratively in a room together and we're, we're so much better when we do that. Uh, we're just that kind of band. Like we're just, the band's greater than some of its parts. Like we just, once we're together, ideas flow, collaboration happens and things get better. So that will still happen. We just all live close enough and far enough away that we just find a meeting place, you know? And the majority of the writing we do when it gets down to the serious time is we'll go away together. That's what we've done ever since tip. We'll go away to a cottage for like five or six days. And then we'll write morning, noon and night. And we'll sort of finish up like the collection of songs and we'll come home with finished demos that we can then share with labels and managers and stuff. So, so there's always different processes for us for writing, but right now I think, yeah, the farm will have its own individual influences on me. But as far as figure 11, I think the process is so ingrained in us. It just, it, it's just, there's one of three ways it usually works. So, Yeah. And speaking of the way songs come together, the, the big news right now is that Paralyzer hit a hundred million listens on Spotify, which yeah. is just insane. And oh, man. I, sometimes numbers don't make sense. And I just, I don't even know if this is right, but I know it's close enough to say, I just did some quick math and that's almost 900 times per hour since 2007. <laughs> that's impressive. So that's, I didn't that's, do that math. That's so amazing. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy, man. I, 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 you know, I mean, that song, uh, we've written enough songs and like, we love all our songs equally. Let me just say that. We like, so when we write a song, we always picture it being a hit single or being the one that everybody loves. But like, we like all our songs. We think they're all great. Let's say, you know, well, not all of them, but anyways, you know what my <laughs> point is. Like when we write them, our attempt is to make something that we like that hopefully will, you know, other people will enjoy as well. Right. But when we wrote Paralyzer and it was sort of a fluky kind of writing day, we just were messing around, waiting for a friend to show up to do like a photo shoot project. And we, he was late. We were angry. We didn't want to jam. He finally showed up. We were like, oh man, we don't want to do this. Let's just jam for 10 minutes, take your photos and we'll bail. And that 10 minutes we wrote the music for, for Paralyzer. Like 
verbatim, right? Like the, all the changes, all the rest of it. So then that night Scott heard it and was like, holy shit. And he wrote his parts that night, which doesn't happen either. It doesn't always come together that fast. So right away when we wrote it, we knew, again, we just thought it was another one of our songs that we loved a lot. But as we started playing the demo for like friends and people, there was an obvious reaction to the song and, uh, and it was, and it was becoming more and more apparent as, because we wrote that song two years before we put it on, on a record little old released it right so it was around for a long time and there was always a love for that song but the thing that's blown me away is the love for that song seems to be growing as time goes on which is something that our band's never been a part of like you know our 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 fans and our success is just it's it's been um our own community you know this kind of thing where our finger 11 fans are finger 11 like we all almost know each other at a certain point and where paralyzer has gone to this next level where it's reached human beings that I have no hope in hell of ever meeting because it's all across the world. It's crazy. So when he hit this number hundred million, I don't know. I don't like, we're not really sure what to do with that. You get, you guess you're, you're obviously proud, but it's also like very humbling in a weird way because you have no say over it. You have no control over it. It has nothing to do with me as a human being but I am super happy that that many people are loving that song. That's we've seen a real weird uptick since COVID, which I I'm not sure I can't explain it, but I mean, I'm guessing Spotify in general got a lot more listeners, but I just, I don't know, whatever reason people are into that song. Um, I couldn't be more thankful. Man. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Were you guys playing it live before you put it out on record? Uh, no. We've never done that. We've never done that with any no. of our songs. Nah, yeah, that's that's just never been a thing. I mean, yeah, that's just one of those things, the band things that we've just never done. We always keep everything close to the chest because we learned early on in our career through the Rainbow Butt Monkey record that like those were the, f- the first 12 songs we ever wrote, you know, yeah. and we released them. And there was a few like after the fact that we were like, oh, I wish we didn't release that, you know, and right, I think that stuck with us our whole career. That is, if we're not a hundred percent happy with it, we don't want anybody to hear it outside the band, you know. So that's usually the way it is. So, like, no, we never did play it live. Interesting. Yeah, that's cool. So, what was the idea behind doing the acoustic version that's coming out in a couple of days? Uh, you know what? We've been doing that for a while. There was a point where um, we got asked to try and do an acoustic version, and we, and honestly, it took us a long time to sort of wrap our heads around it and put it together. Um, but then. We sort of got one locked in and then ever since we've been playing it, we've been just doing it quite often and you know, a lot of different kinds of parties and just kind of different settings. So it's, it's actually, we're pretty amazed sometimes when we, it actually sort of rocks still, which it's not something that you usually associate with acoustic because usually acoustic's slower or quieter, right? And we've played it a few times where like, you would, by looking at the party, you wouldn't know that it's acoustic version. You know what I mean? So for this, I mean, yeah, it's a celebration of this moment in that song's history. And it's something we could do at home. And it's something that we could share with everybody right now, you know, instead of having to like wait till next year to put it on in a record, you know, this is something we could make and get out there and sort of just, and also I think it's a bit of a chance for people to, to hear a new version of the song. It's, it's, it's the same song, but it's, it's, an, it's different enough that if you like it, you might like this one.
For forever, acoustic versions of songs have been just an awesome twist. Like you can listen to the same song over and over and love it, but just to get the new, just a new feel of any song is like those yeah. MTV Unplugged were some of the best, best records that came out with like Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam to me, man. That Pearl oh, Jam one was a game changer, man. Like the, state, the acoustic version of a State of Love and Trust was just like oh. when the electric came out, it was like oh, like yeah, it, it, and and even like we're all big fans. Like I'm not a even a i'm not a blanket alice in chains fan but sap that ep was like a total game changer for our entire band because the intricacy like it was one of the first non-mellow acoustic records i'd ever heard you know what i mean right. and that's something to me that we've always sort of tried to embrace like we'll we'll play our acoustic guitars but we don't need to like slow everything down and just pick them you know like can still strum them hard so yeah that like like you said i i am a just a blanket Allison James fan. I, so yeah, James is too. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, just the, the acoustic stylings of anything that they do and just, it still has the same emotion and the same energy. It's just, 
just yeah. blows you away. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 for sure. And th- that's something that, like, so we've never shied away from acoustic versions of our songs ever, even from the very beginning. Like, we've always, me and James have always, every time we go anywhere to play music, one hand's got electric and one hand's got an acoustic. You know, it's just always been part of our guitar playing, I guess, you know, you call it. So, yeah. I mean, that's just because the bands we loved were never afraid to put down electric guitars and pick up acoustic guitars. You know, they didn't define themselves by one style or the other, you know? Yeah. So, do you guys fuck with that on the road at all? Like for live performances, do you guys do acoustic much? Yeah. I mean, we, we do, we, we like, sometimes it depends on the tour or the, but we, we haven't been known to like break down to like a five or six song acoustic, you know, slot in the middle of the set and do it. Cause we do have a handful of acoustic songs that sort of go well together. They're weird to sort of pop in every once in a while. So right. sometimes it's nice to create sort of a bit of a moment, you know, where like, People can go get a beer and take a piss, and <laughs> we get time. to play our soft songs. So. <laughs> uh, whose whose idea was it to uh, change the name from Rainbow Butt Monkeys? It was a collective band idea. It was just we had toured that record, we had had success, we had fun, but we also sort of knew we wanted to continue doing it. And by the end of that tour, the name was really getting in the way of people listening to the music or even pay attention to the band. They're just like the right. name, which I mean, I can't blame them. It was a hilarious name and it's <laughs> funny, but there, when we started making the first finger 11 record tip, when we started making the music, it was pretty clear to us that this couldn't be called rainbow about monkeys. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So it was a really weird thing to do, man. Like our label was pissed. Our managements didn't like it. Like no one thought it was a good idea because we had literally just had success with this name, right? And everybody's like, "You're gonna trash all that to do this," and we're like, "Yeah," <laughs> and we didn't even do a press release. Like that's how shittily we did it. We just said, "But I don't." I, to, us, to us, it wasn't even a choice. It was just, it just made sense. It was just like I guess we were just young enough and naive enough to think that it it, it didn't matter, you know? Or, I don't know whatever reason, but we also were aware enough to know that we only have one chance to do it. We couldn't put out two Rainbow Belt Monkey records and then be another band. So this was our moment. And, and like I said, but the music sort of dictated the decision more than yeah. that. So. I think the marketability outweighs the progress made with the name. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, na- the name is hilarious and it sticks to people's minds, man. And if we were, if we had been planning on always maintaining that joke side to the band, then I think it would have been stupid to change it, right? But as soon as we started saying, like, even if we want to do one song that isn't summer sort of funky and funny, we're sort of screwed, right? Like, like right away we were just so, yeah. But you know what? It's funny because the name lived on way long. Like to us, it's essentially our high school band name, right? Like, right. and so it did have a, a national Canadian release, but it it's lived on around the world now because of the internet, and it's it's actually one of the only things that ever got finger 11 into Rolling Stone was the, the, the butt monkey name in one of their articles. And it's sort of, so it's definitely served his purpose. And I, and I'm not as, I'm fond of it now. You know, there was a point in my time where I didn't want to talk about it or hear about it or anybody. So it yelled at the concert and you'd be like, Oh man, come on. But now I just think it's actually quite flattering that the name is that people still think it's funny. They still think it's entertaining and it still makes people smile. So. Yeah, it's definitely awesome. I mean, you could, it, you could always go back to it and run like a merch line, 
with the, yeah, with the logos, right? For sure. Well, we actually started doing. We actually started selling butt monkey shirts at our finger lab shows, and man, number one seller, right definitely, again, like for sure, right? You know, and that's all. That's all we did was literally make the exact same shirt that we had before. Like we didn't. We just went and found the actual old like thing. James drew it. We had the thing, the stencil, and boom, there's the shirt. So. Vintage. Yeah, no, I I get it though, man. I'm 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 such a music fan. I'm such a music lover that like the nostalgia attached to music is a really important thing. You know, it's very it can be very healing. It can be very important in people's lives. So, not that that's what the butt monkeys does. I don't think the butt monkeys healed anybody. Right. But but for me, when I go back to a lot of my old like older records and older bands, I I I like to look back at with fondness. You know. Yeah. And music itself is kind of inherently nostalgic because you can only hear a song once before you've heard it once. And then you, every time you hear it is bringing you back to that feeling. Right. So like, yeah, music is just almost inherently nostalgic. Like I said. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it's like, it's like the sense of smell, you know, or like you can, you can smell like a, like a perfume or like a, like even a, something being cooked be like holy shit take it right back like 20 years in an instant music definitely i mean there's there's some music that i just almost can't listen to if they're attached to too many either painful memories or you know just there's a lot of and that's just testament to like how how powerful it is and and that's you know again that's where that's why our whole band exists that's why our band started was we were all those kind of music fans as friends in high school and we just decided that hey, let's give it our own, make our own version of it. You know what I mean? But yeah. that um, that nostalgia. I mean, that's I, I live off it every day, man. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Herbal Essences shampoo takes me back to summer camp when I was like fifteen. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so I got I got a bunch of questions sent in for you, but I narrowed it down to my three favorites, which a lot of them were the same. So I kind of just bundled them together. Okay. Um, a lot of people were wondering about some stories from touring with Ozzy. If you had any memorable stories or just something awesome yeah. to tell us about it. I mean, just few, like little things. I mean, sure. Not many to do with Ozzy. We met Ozzy and that was in itself amazing. Right. It was, we got to meet him in the hallway and we did a photo with him. I will say this though. Like, we were sta- we were standing against the wall here, and we were all lined up here, and he was here in front of us. And when he when we, we took the photo, and after he said goodbye to us, he literally turned and walked into the wall, <laughs> and then went, "Oh, who put that there?" And then walked down to his dressing room. And I was like, ha, "We got our Aussie moment," you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I guess it'd be like uh, anybody could do it, but it was definitely like, but uh, and my okay, there's a few, but one of one of my my personal here's my personal favorite. Uh, memory was um i don't know if you remember but on that tour voivod was opening and jason newstead had taken over for ozzy he had been he was doing the bass role well um what's his name uh the guy who's a metallica now uh robert uh robert tatiro or his name was anyways, he he was leaving ozzy to go to metallica right. jason newstead was leaving metallica and was filling in for the ozzy tour so the very first show we were there, we were, we were playing. It was, I can't remember it was where it was. It was in Vancouver. I can't remember what, where, what side of the country it was on. Anyways, so we play, we play our set. We, it was just a, we, a really good time for the band. Good times had just come out on the radio. Like we had a lot of Canadian love. Everybody in the audience knew who the band was. It was just a lot of excitement. So we had a killer set. We all come off. 
everybody's in the dressing room getting, you know, cracking beers and having just excited. Right. And I'm like, I'm usually the last guy to move after a show. I'm usually the last guy to do anything, but I'm getting changed right away. And I'm, and they're like, Rick, what's going on? I'm like, I don't want to miss a second of us. You know, and I'm, and I, and I run around and I'm getting, I'm still sweating, like come around the corner and I run into like sort of Jason Newstead sort of like personal backstage, side stage, curtained off space, you know? I'm like, oh, oh, sorry. He's like, oh, cool, man. And he's just sort of walking around, like just doing his thing. And he goes, he goes, oh man, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. And I'm just like, and I, the only thing I could say was like, dude, you were in fucking Metallica, man. You know what I mean? And he's like, yeah, but this is Ozzy Osbourne. And I, <laughs> that exchange was like fucking awesome. Cause I was such a fan of Metallica and Jason Newstead and that world. And then to hear, just to know that doesn't matter what tier you get, man. There's a tier above you, and there's still the real human feelings attached to what's going on in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was really neat. It was very inspiring when we met him, and and to see that fuck you're here and you're this guy and you're still, you still care enough to be concerned, you know, and and this kind of thing. So that was a, that was a cool personal experience. And then one of our probably our, one of our best experiences was just Mike Borland was playing the drums from faith no more on that tour yeah. and we're all like huge faith no more geeks right so he actually by the end of the tour was making a point of coming watching the set every night and that to us was like oh my god he's like, we'd, be, we'd be on stage like looking at each other we're like there he is, there he is. Yeah. and that was cool and then we met zach uh, a couple times and he was awesome one of the fun neatest things about zach's whole posse was like you, I mean, if I didn't see it, I'd be like, this bullshit. Like, it's just a gimmick or whatever, right? But he would literally pull in, his bus would pull in, and then a bunch of Hells Angels guys would pull in, and then they'd set up a thing, and they'd get their dogs going, and they'd start drinking, and it would be like fucking noon. You know what I mean? And it was like, that is really happening right there. Like, that is, that is not, you know, like, that's, that's, that's how he rolls. I don't know if he does it anymore, but at the time, that was very, like, Holy, that's the real deal, you know? And then he would shred every night. He, one of my, uh, the other thing that I thought was cool about that, um, I guess I do have a lot of memories of that too. But uh, one of my favorite things was, you know, throughout the night when Zach would be playing all, whatever, he, if he was playing Sabbath or Ozzy, he'd always put his own little twist on it, you know? He'd do a little tremolo or he'd vibrato. Or, so he'd be just, he'd be, he'd just put his own little, harmonic pinch on 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 classic sabbath riffs or whatever right he just do his own twist enough that it, you knew it was zach wild playing but not enough to disrespect the thing but when it came to the solo of crazy train it was verbatim like verbatim like he wouldn't mess with a single like it was obviously a tribute right and it was it was really cool to see like he'd be doing all these like wicked moves then just perfectly like as if it was on the record like just playing it perfect you now so yeah, that was that was cool. That was a neat. Yeah, that, that was like we say it all the time. That was like going to rock and roll, like summer camp, man. Like we, because it it went from like I think somewhere in June to the middle of August or July. To, it went right through the summer, and we just got to go right across the country with like Ozzy Osbourne and his team, you know. And then you know, not just the band, but the whole crew, the whole their whole universe just treated us like gold. So it was it was cool, man. It was a really new experience. That's. Once in a lifetime, you know? Yeah, that's so cool to even just listen to. And like, I mean, there's bands that would look at you guys the same way and probably tell stories about you the same way. But like you said, there's just <laughs> levels. And it's so cool to like hear, see someone of your level of success speak like you're, you know what I mean? Like just to fanboy over Ozzy. I mean, I've never yeah. seen Ozzy play and it just has had such an impact on my musical life since I was 
11 probably like since yeah. I first found the, and I mean just to hear those stories gives you chills oh that's cool you know th- you know I, I, I'm the same way though I mean like that's how I learned how to play guitar was Sabbath like the Aussie years Sabbath uh, CD disc set you know yep. it was the first four or five records just all in a row. that's how I learned how to play guitar that and Neil Young I just would learn and so to me they were the cornerstone of my of my musical existence as far as guitar playing goes you know and but one of my favorite things about that whole thing was like about halfway through the tour. So they were, put, they were, they did the Canadian tour to sort of get ready for the Ozfest tour in America. So they were putting their crew through the ringer and they were just getting the, uh, like the time between bands was 15 minutes, but the band changeover was three and a half minutes because they were training them to change both bands over so fast on Ozfest, right? So but they had everything on, you know, they were pros and our, and everybody was, it was great. It was wicked. So all of a sudden halfway through the tour, Ozzy and there, and Ozzy at this point is playing like two hours and 45 minutes a night. And he, and he decides he wants to add another song. And so they're like, okay, guys, that three and a half minutes now is two and a half minutes change over. And so it was, it was a really neat thing to see that big of an operation too, and sort of backstage to see how, I don't know, like how, how well oiled the machine is like, you know, it does, it's, it, it if a, if a concert goes off without a hitch, no one notices, but you know, I mean, it's insane back there what everybody has to do to make that happen. And those guys were definitely some of the best I've ever been around. So. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's there's cool. levels to that game too. With, oh yeah, man. With success comes the crew. And I mean, you can't understate yeah, yeah. The, the importance of a good crew. No, for sure. I mean, we've had, we've had tours where our crew, had been bad and messed things up for the between you know and like it eventually things get really bad until you sort of pinpoint the problem you know and and it's on tours it's really easy for that miscommunication to happen and next thing you know the bands are mad at each other when the bands have never even met you know what i mean but there's like the the anger goes up and down the ladder pretty fast so yeah no that's what we've always had our we've all we've been lucky our crews have always been respectful and maybe it's just because we're Canadian or whatever, but they, our crews always are very aware that like they represent finger 11 as much as we represent finger 11. So if we leave a club, if everybody did their great job, but one guy was addicted to someone then finger 11 was addicted to them. Right. You know, so we've always have, we are, our, us and our crew are a big family and we always sort of treat it that way. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, one guy said, I remember hearing you say in an old interview that you woke up on a bench in times square once what were the events leading up to that event? Oh yeah, man. I did wake up on Times Square once. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, what was I doing that night? I mean, well, the truth is our, so we're Canadian from Burlington and Toronto and stuff, but our, when we finally got signed to America, our label windup was based right out of Manhattan. So for any kind of meeting, any label meeting, they would fly us from Toronto to, to New York city and sometimes that was happening like once, twice a week. Sometimes we'd literally fly from Toronto to New York City for like a two-hour meeting and then they'd be there for three days, you know? Right. And we were partying like all the time. Like, so I'm, my guess is I was probably partying with one of the guys in the band and they went back to the hotel and I was probably like, ah, you know what? I'll just chill here for a bit. And then I do remember waking up though because it was, I never, it was rush hour in Times Square in the morning and I never experienced that because I'd never been awake that early. And just to see the, the funnels of people coming out of the tunnels. And I was just on this bench and it was just like, whoa, like it all just came alive like that. I do remember that. That was pretty funny. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what led to that. I, I'm guessing just <laughs> probably 
some smoke and some beer and it usually happens. Yeah, I've had some, I've never had like a wake up in Times Square, but I've had some early mornings in Times Square after a, yeah. a long New York favorite. night. Yeah, I know. Uh, New York's the best, man. We, we, we spent a lot of time there with, uh, like I said, with the label, but then we actually ended up making our record Life Turns Electric there. And so we were actually in Manhattan for three or four months in the summer. And man, it was fun, man. That was cool, man. It was too much. So I, I gotta be honest, it's still sort of like, I stay, I think I'm st still like nine years later, like suffering from the hangover that we used, <laughs> that we would go through. Like that, that was, we, our, our, our studio, or sorry, our apartment was above a bar and it was Perfect. just about it. And they stayed up until five thirty in the morning. Right. And that was just like, yeah, yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last question is yeah. the 11, is the 11th finger your dick? It isn't. <laughs> it, it, so check this out. So, so when we, so finger 11 was a lyric in a song on tip and it was Scott's lyric. And the lyric was your, your finger 11 will point the other way. And basically what it was, what I think he was, I, I don't, I'm not him. I don't know, but he's explained it enough to know, for me to know that. Like, I think what it was, was like your sixth sense or your third eye or like this, this instinctual thing inside you. If everything's saying, yeah, man, do this. And that thing inside you saying, uh, uh, do this. That's what you listen to. Right? right. So when he sang it in the studio, we were like, that's cool. What's finger eleven? Like that's a neat big term, you know. We wrote it out. We we're like, and this is this is at a point where we decided to not be the Rainbow Butt Monkeys anymore, but we hadn't picked a name, so we we're sort of in this nameless void. And we we're like finger eleven. This is cool. So we we're writing finger eleven, and we're we just basically were like, this this is it. This is like this is our name, and we in our mind, we're like, there's no way, like, this is so far from Rainbow Butt Monkeys. No one's going to think anything other than it's just finger 11. Very first thing. Is it your dick? Is it this? Is it your dick? Is it this? It's like, fuck, we didn't get away from that at all. <laughs> we made it worse. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's a little more cerebral than the dick thing. You know what I mean? But I guess hey, fing your finger 11 can be whatever you want it to be, really. You know? <laughs> and I mean, the timing with the album being called Tip. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> and to not, to, we one, I can't remember what radio station was, but the very first time we heard a radio station talk about it, like I said, so we didn't do a press release. We didn't tell anybody we were changing our names. We just changed our name to Finger Eleven. And someone on the radio was like, I heard a rumor today that Ra Rainbow Butt Monkey's new name is Finger of Lovin'. And we were like, oh, oh this is the worst. They should have just kept butt monkeys. But no, no, it actually, you know, it, it, uh, it is, it is what it meant, what he meant. Like it's your, your sixth sense kind of thing. But my favorite is it took us a while to realize like that people doing this in the audience is they're, they're giving us a term of endearment. You know, there was a few shows where like, what the fuck, man? He came to our concert to give us the finger. We're like, two oh. ones. I get it. <laughs> Takes us a while. We're just pretty stiff with that. So. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, I I wish we could talk all night about Ozzy and just tour oh, stories man. and everything. But it, thank you so well, much. We can for do doing another. This. We can do another episode at some point, man. Anytime. I would love that. I would love yeah, that. Man. Anytime for sure. Once touring, I just have to get internet at the farm. You know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Once touring comes back and we can promote some tour dates, that's that's what we'll do. Absolutely, brother. That's awesome. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, man. Good talking to you. Take care.
Hey guys, if you're still here listening and you haven't done so already, you might as well take a minute and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All these links can be found at liveinthedream506.com. Thank you for your support and keep dreaming.